388 of the Unpopular Podcast. This is the man, the myth, the legend, Jalen Hunter. And here at the Unpopular Podcast, not only ask you to breathe me, I'm asking you to hear me out. Man, does it feel good to have money in sports. I mean, it feels good to have money in general. Let's let's keep it a stack. Uh, they say life, money doesn't doesn't bring happiness to life, you know? But it does make it a little easier. Money just helps with a lot of things, you know? And it's no secret that in today's economy, in today's sports, money is bigger than it's ever been. All around sports, whether we talk about basketball and you see the contracts that they sign, uh, football and you see the contracts that they sign. Money now is bigger than it's ever been in sports. And that's that's kind of obvious, you know. It's like evolution. Basketball players, football players, baseball players, they're bigger, faster, stronger now than they were back in the day. No offense to anyone back in the day. That's just genetics. That's just how it is. So obviously money is going to be the same way. You know, you're going to be able to afford more things. You're going to be able to afford more players. And in the history, let's, let's, let's go to baseball. In the history of baseball, we talk about the Yankees a lot. The Yankees obviously have a rich history in baseball. I think the winningest franchise in baseball history, obviously, when we talk about World Series. And what the Yankees were able to do back then and what they've been able to do through pretty much their entire existence is because of the Yes Network, because of the market that the Yankees is, because of New York and, and exactly you know where it is, the Yankees were able to afford better, faster, stronger players than small market teams, which is why you saw... For a good period of time, the Yankees were dominant. The Yankees were always winning World Series or always getting to World Series. They were able to pay for performance, pretty much. They were able to, they could afford the best players. And today is a new day. You know, today is a new day. And what I mean by that is, Obviously, the Dodgers is a major market. L.A. obviously is a major market. I think one of, if not the largest market in sports. And we're seeing the Dodgers make so make moves that the Yankees used to make. You know, because the Dodgers can afford so much, because the Dodgers has a higher payroll, because of their market, they can afford better players. They can afford different people. For instance, again, you had Mookie Betts, you had Freddie Freeman, you were able to afford uh, Clayton Kershaw when his contracts were up. They have been able to do that. And while they've done that for a while, it just hasn't resulted in wins. Well, these last two moves that the Yankees, I mean, that the Dodgers, I'm sorry, have done sort of has to produce wins. So what? Oh, last week, the, the big news drop that Shohei Otani leaves the Angels and uh, leaves the Angels and goes to the Dodgers. Obviously, stays in L.A., goes to the bigger market. Well, okay, I'm going to say this one time. 
I know I'm going to butcher this man's name, so I apologize in advance, but I'm going to say this one time. <sighs> All right, here we go. Yoshin, Yoshinobu, Yoshinobu Yamamoto. I think Yamamoto. I think I said that one right. I'm not going to even try the first name. Again, I apologize, brother, that I messed your name up. I apologize. But I'm just look, we're just gonna refer to him as uh, Yamamoto, because that I think is how you say the, his last name. The Dodgers just signed Yamamoto to a what is it, ten year, twelve year, three hundred oh no, yeah, twelve year, three hundred and twenty five million dollar contract. This is huge for a lot of reasons. Obviously, this is one of the largest contracts in baseball history. Uh, not the largest, obviously. Shohei Otani just signed that a week ago with the same team. But this is one of the first and largest contracts for a player that has never stepped foot or never thrown a MLB pitch. To never throw an MLB pitch and to get $325 million from the Dodgers is crazy. But that's when you know you have star talent, when you know a star is among you, you don't waste no time. You don't, you don't have step with it. We know how good Shohei Otani was. That's because why he got $700 million. You don't need to do something to, to resemble greatness. You know what I mean? Well, let me explain. Let me explain because that sounds crazy. I don't need to have seen you in the major leagues to know, oh, you're going to be something special. We saw how good he was in the World Series. I'm mean, not the World Series. The Pretty much the Japan versus United States, the World Cup, and how he, alongside Shohei Otani, dominated. And ultimately, Japan, I believe, won the World Cup. And I started this episode with history. Because exactly what we're seeing from the Dodgers, we've seen through the entire franchise, pretty much, of the Yankees. So the question is, why does this feel different? Why does this move for... Uh, Yamamoto and or Yamamoto, I'm sorry, and for Otani, why do these moves feel different? Well, first, because Shohei Otani is the best player in the world. Shohei Otani is arguably one of, if not the best players in baseball history. I know people are trying to throw out uh, accolades. You know, he's a two-time MVP. People are trying to to throw out that he hasn't really done much. Cool. But you can see greatness when greatness is there. I'm not saying that he is going to go down as the greatest. But what I'm saying is he has the tools. He has the ability. And that is obviously Otani. He has the ability. And we've seen things, especially when we talk about hitting and pitching, that we've never seen anyone do. So, of course, he's going to be worth $700 million. Because he is going to generate $700 million in revenue, probably even more, for the Dodgers, him alone. Now, let's go back to Yamamoto. 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 
what the Dodgers are doing is they're compiling the best players, and they're com- and and they're trying to stockpile great players. Now, the Yankees have done that for a while, but the problem is the players that they bank on, the players that they have signed, either just didn't fit, didn't pan out, or was injured. I'm looking at you, Giancarlo Stanton. Giancarlo, I don't remember the last time Giancarlo Stanton was was perfectly healthy through the whole season. Now, I am not a baseball player. Let's 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 just get that out of here now. I I am not prevy. I don't know the inner workings of baseball like other people do. I don't know, and and again, this is no offense to him. This is no offense to anybody that plays baseball. I am just ignorant to it because I. Baseball is not a lane in which I drive a lot. Let's, let's, just, let's just be real. I don't know how in God's name Giancarlo Stan continues to get hurt the way that he gets hurt. Whether it's back, shoulder, knees. I'm like, bro, baseball isn't that physical of a sport. Now, again, I don't know. This is outside eyes looking in. But I don't know how the hell he keeps getting hurt as much as he gets hurt. That is baffling to me. But the Yankees have signed players like that where you give him so much money and the return on investment has not equaled the the investment itself. When you talk about, and, and when you spend money and when you stockpile talent, you have to have great talent at different positions. Like, and the most important positions, in my opinion, for baseball is pitching, uh, shortstop, and probably center field. And now the Yankees, I mean, let's say the Dodgers, I'm sorry, have greatness at each position. So what this what what this move does, and we can move on for it for a minute in a second. What this move does is it 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 bolds and it puts so much expectation on the Dodgers shoulders like like think about it what the Dodgers are pretty much doing is kind of equivalent to what the Golden State Warriors did with Kevin Durant in certain certain aspects because again you, you talk about uh, Yamamoto, who hasn't pitched in the league, but we know how great he can be. But you do have Shohei Otani. Imagine if the Golden State Warriors dynasty, if Golden State never won a championship with Kevin Durant. Like, imagine how not only we would look at that team, but imagine how we look at Steph Curry. Imagine how we look at Kevin Durant. Imagine if LeBron James and the Heat never won a championship. When you stockpile great players and when you throw around as much money as the Dodgers are throwing around, the return on investment needs to be great. And what and the return on investment that needs to happen for this Dodgers team is a World Series. I think a couple episodes ago, I broke down the history of, or the recent history, I'll say, of the Dodgers in the playoffs and how outside of what 2020 which was a shortened season the Dodgers have come short 
on several occasions when we talk about the World Series or the playoffs in general. Well, that that they what what this what these moves Otani and Yamamoto what what these moves have done is they've shrunk the the window of understanding. They've shrunk the window of of patience because there there are times when you compile players there needs to be patience. Well, when you put what is that? Almost a billion dollars, actually more than a billion dollars in two players. Like on top of that, again, and I I hate to just point those two out, but those are the best two players that's been there, is Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman. Two players that have won World Series, two players that have been World Series MVPs. Like, at some point. Like the, there's no give us a year or two. No. I, I'm not saying that it's, it's obviously when you have one deal that's 10 years, one deal, I think that's 10 or 12. Obviously, you have time to get it right. But people are expecting a World Series championship next year, this year, this next season. And you're, you're putting a lot on the shoulders of a player in Yamamoto who has not pitched in the league. But hey, you spend your money the way that you want to. And I'm not saying that that was a bad investment. Shouts out to if hey, if anyone was offering 325 million dollars to me, if it does, I said this, and Cam Cam Newton said this, but I, I I agree. You know how people say, "Would you do this for X amount of money?" I would say like this: if it doesn't, if it doesn't disrespect my beliefs, if it doesn't disrespect my morals, then I'll do it. Like, I mean, it is what it is. But, because, I mean, I've never seen $325 million. I've never seen a million dollars, like, in physical form. So, I understand if if someone's giving out $325 million, I don't care how long that deal is, let me see it. That is obviously generational type money. But, we're talking about potentially generational type talent in Yamamoto. Again, he alongside Shohei Otani were the best players in the World Cup just a year ago, I believe. And this is going against people like Mike Trout, you know? So, shouts out to Yamamoto and the Dodgers for doing what the Yankees have done for years now, and that is just buy the best players. But this, what they're going to find out very quickly and what they hope to exceed in, obviously, is when you make moves like this, there are high, high expectations that come with it. And if you ultimately don't win a World Series or don't even make a World Series in the next few years, people are going to look at these moves, Shohei Otani, and or Shohei Otani, I'm sorry, and Yamamoto, they're gonna look at these moves and say, "Well, what's going on?" I don't even think they're gonna look at the organization as much as they're gonna look at the players and be like, "Dog, they paid you all this money. What's going on?" They're not gonna look at the ten years or twelve years contracts. They're gonna look at the money. 
and be like, how the hell do we pay you this amount of money? And we have yet to get a World Series. But shouts out to them for getting the money. Uh, getting their deals. That sounds crazy. Getting the money. <laughs> um, I was watching Thursday Night Football between the Rams and the Saints. And an epiphany hit. And it hit me like a ton of bricks watching both of these teams. The Rams, right now, is exactly what I thought the Saints were going to be this year. But the, how the Rams are playing right now, outside of the, the, the defense, is exactly what I thought the Saints would be. So on Thursday Night Football, the Rams beat the Saints 30-22. to Matthew Stafford threw for 228 yards, two touchdowns. Cameron Williams ran for 20, or 22 carries for 104 yards, one touchdown. Puka Nakua, who has been, who has had one of the best rookie seasons we've seen, and has been such a such a godsend to this Rams team. He had nine receptions for 164 yards. And one touchdown. Demarcus Robinson also had 82 yards and a touchdown. Going into the season, I thought that when you when you get a Derek Carr and you have a Michael Thomas and you have a Alvin Kamara and you have a Chris Olave, I thought that that the Saints had an opportunity to be one of the best offenses in football. And when they start clicking on all cylinders, they're going to be damn near impossible to stop. Especially when you look at the defense that they have. When we talk about uh, uh, Davis and we talk about the players that they had. Tyron Matthew, I thought, Lattimore, I thought that this team was going to be one of the best teams in football. But... We saw such a contrast of differences between both teams on Thursday Night Football. Now, obviously, when you hear 30-22, to it doesn't seem as bad as it was. But mind you, the the Rams had a 27-7 to lead, I think, going into the fourth quarter or going in or halfway through the third. And the issues that you know what you know what it is. I'm gonna I'm gonna put a pin in that for a second because I want to I want to explain something to people. What? Because I dropped a video or last episode I talked about the Eagles and I talked about their their building habits that are not winning habits. They've done that the entire season. Every team does that. And what does that mean? Because people are like. How do you build habits that you don't want to do? How do you build bad habits? It's called repetition. And there are times when you're building things. For instance, people do this in everyday life. You know what a bad habit is that people do? Because I do this sometimes. Or I'm trying my best not to anymore. But eating late. Eating late is a bad habit that people develop. 
Now, some people have to eat late. Some people work nights, like myself. Some people just are not able to eat food before a certain time. But that's a bad habit to develop, eating late. Another bad habit is going to sleep late. Hell, I know a lot. Hell, I, I have a problem with that. Going to sleep two, three, four, five. Well, I don't go to this one. It's not that late, but two, three o'clock in the morning. Especially on days where you don't work. Those are habits that people develop that are not good for them. When people hear developing habits, a lot of times they just hear positivity. They just hear, oh, you know, getting up and running in the morning or getting up and working out in the morning or, or taking my dog. You know what I'm saying? Habits are not always a good thing. Now, that's obvious, but when we talk about sports, and I was talking, and we're talking about the Saints, let's get back to Thursday Night Football, they've had, they've struggled mightily, especially in the red zone. They struggled mightily as far as situational football. I mean, Derek Carr has a lot of interceptions and turnovers in crutch time or crunch, crutch time situations. Those are, and the tough part about developing habits is, especially in season, they are incredibly tough to overcome because it's just innate in you at that point. One of, a bad habit because I was talking when I was talking about the Eagles, a bad habit that the Eagles have been developing is they've had slow starts, or they have not been able to to have a complete game. I'm not saying that's happened every week, but a lot of times. They struggle with complete games. Like, they'll start off hot, but then tail off in the second half. Or they'll have terrible first halves and then just take off the second half. Well, as we've seen the last three weeks, since they're on a three-game losing streak, that imbalance, you're unable to overcome that at times. This Saints team, they struggle mightily scoring in the red zone, getting to the red zone, crunch time situations. And, that, and as you look, they're seven and eight. A team that has as much talent as they have is seven and eight. And when I started this and I said that the Rams are playing exactly how the Saints, how I thought the Saints would, who are the Rams? The Rams are one, one of the hottest teams in football right now. And the Rams are one of those teams, kind of like the Bills right now. The Rams are one of those teams where the way that they're playing, this is not one of the, a team that you is a cupcake in the playoffs. Matthew Stafford is playing incredible. Puka Naku is playing incredible. Uh, Cooper Cup is still there. And then they got the running game with Williams. Like, this is not the type of team that you want to play, especially when you're hot at the right time. But how creative their offense looks and how efficient their offense looks at times. That is the Rams. That's exactly how I thought going into the season the Saints were going to be. We always talk about a quarterback away thing. And while, yes, I understand that Derek Carr had his issues in, for the Raiders, I thought that the Saints were possibly a quarterback away for contending. And I thought just a new scenery, a new offensive line, a pretty good offensive line at the time, I thought that this was going to be a a new great home for Derek Carr and that it was going to produce winning. 
Now, I understand that this is year one, but it has not gone how... I never thought that an offense that has as much firepower as it has, even with or without Derek Carr, was going to sputter as much as it does. You can even look at this game. It didn't take... Bro, they scored 15 points in the fourth quarter. And they still lost. What, what, what I'm saying is, you're looking at two different teams that should have had similar, actually, that should have had different storylines as far as going into the season. The Rams were not supposed to be this good. You had an aging Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup went into the season injured. You knew about, nobody really knew Puka Nakua was going to be this. No, the, the, the Rams are not supposed to be here, but you know what they did. They developed good habits. Next man up mentality. You still have um, Aaron Donald on the defense. And he's still wreaking havoc. While he's not the dominant Aaron Donald that he has been for his entire career, he still is great. They developed good habits. And those good habits start to matriculate into winning. And they start to matriculate into Okay, this is what, now you're hot. And when you're hot and you develop great habits and you have great habits to lean on, teams like that are damn near impossible to beat. But then you have the Saints who have developed poor habits and have struggled mildly in areas where you can't struggle in those areas if you expect to contend for a Super Bowl. So now, you wonder why a 15-point fourth quarter and you still fall. Or the fact that when you have as much talent that you have, you're 8-7, seven, you're or 7-8. Seven and eight. Now, you can look at Dennis Allen, the coach, and I think that there is a lot of this is the coach as well. Because one thing that former athletes always say is, as a coach... If you're not addressing, you're either allowing, you're coaching it or you're allowing it. And there's a lot of things that the Saints team does that kind of shoots themselves in the foot, especially when we're talking about the turnovers and getting, they get, don't get me wrong, they get to the red zone a lot. They just don't produce points. I mean, the last few weeks they kind of have, but for the majority of this season, when they get to the red zone, it usually is. Three points instead of seven. And as we look today, a Saints team that should... When you look at the landscape of the NFC South, the Saints should have an easy path. Should have, let me say. Should have had an easy path to the playoffs. I mean, you have one team that is currently 2-12 and in that division. You have another team that is six and six and eight, and then you have a team that is seven and seven right now. So while yes, the Saints could still technically make the playoffs, it's they've made it a lot tougher than they have to be, especially when you look at the division that they're in. But it's just crazy how when you look, especially not just now, but how they started the season, where the Rams are which the Rams have a very good shot of making the playoffs. 
compared to where the Saints are right now. They're fighting for their playoff lives every game, and they need help. Because right now, the Buccaneers, led by Baker Mayfield, is in the driver's seat in the NFC South. Now, don't get me wrong. I've had honest critiques about Baker Mayfield and the roller coaster of a career that he's had so far. But I'm one of those people that firmly believe that Baker Mayfield is not better than Derek Carr. <laughs> but it's, it's what can I really say? One is currently leading the division. The other one is in the hunt for the playoffs, not even in the wild card. It's just incredible, man. It's just incredible how... Uh... <sighs> hmm. Now, again, it could be a coaching thing. But those habits have been developed, you know? And obviously there are games where you can overcome it, but kind of like a bad habit, it takes repetition to get over. And unfortunately, there's such a small window for the season because every game pretty much matters in the NFL. So it's very hard to... It's, it, it, it's quick <laughs> to develop bad habits, and it's very tough to, um, to, to overcome them. So, but shouts out to the Rams for beating the Saints uh, 22, or no, 30 to 22. Oh, and I'll, another thing. The whole offensive rookie of the year. I think that it's a lot closer than I originally projected it to be. Um, to me, I think that right now it's it's a two-person race, three-person race. Gibbs from the Lions, Puka Nakua, and C.J. Stroud. I think that C.J. Stroud's injury uh, and missing what these last two games definitely plays a, a, a major factor in in this rookie of the year race. And now, offensive rookie of the year, I'll say. Now, in some situations, right, sometimes the lead is built so wide or the lead is so big that you can miss a game or two and you're still firmly in the lead. But... You can have situations like last year and kind of what I'm seeing this year. Brees Hall, to me, was the leading front runner for Offensive Rookie of the Year. In fact, it's not just me. He was, for majority of the season, the leading vote-getter as far as, you know, he, he was in the driver's seat for the Offensive Rookie of the Year. Then he got hurt, season-ending. His, the gap between him and Garrett Wilson was not wide enough that, you know, he he could miss time and Garrett Wilson continues to play, 
and Garrett Wilson not win, which is ultimately why you saw Garrett Wilson win last year. Well, I don't know if, don't get me wrong, C.J. Stroud has been great, and I wouldn't be shocked if he did win. But with him, even though it is, what, two games at this point, with him missing two games I, and, and Puka Nakua doing what he's doing and Gibbs doing what he's doing in Detroit, I don't think that it's a foregone conclusion now that uh, C.J. Stroud is going to win it. I know I, I originally, when I put a video out and I talked about it on a previous episode, that the it was, was C.J. Stroud by a wide margin. But with the injuries and with the resurgence of this L.A. Rams team, and a lot of that is because of the connection between Matthew Stafford and Puka Nakua, I think that as we sit here today, I wouldn't be shocked if Nakua won. And honestly, even though... I don't. I think he's firmly third right now. If Gibbs won from Detroit, the running back, I wouldn't be upset either. But I think with C.J. Stroud's injury, it definitely closes the gap as far as the rookie of the year, offensive rookie of the year, by the way. But let's move forward to my Week 16 predictions. Um, you got two Saturday games and a bunch of you got two Saturday games and three Monday night football games on Christmas. Uh, so let's let's get to predicting. On Saturday, you let's start with the Bengals at Steelers. The Steelers right now are struggling with their offensive identity. They're struggling with it's not just now, yes, them getting rid of Matt Canada has helped the offense flourish a little bit, but their quarterback position with Kenny Pickett out, and even with Kenny Pickett, their quarterback position is still iffy. And the wide receiver position is, I mean, it seems like weekly now there's something coming out. I mean, we, we remember Deontay Johnson and his him not pretty much quitting on the play. And then last week and, and all of this week, it's been pretty much um, George Pickens pretty much gave up on a play and said he didn't want to get hurt, you know. Uh, there's just a lot going on with the Steelers. And I don't, one thing that I do understand about team sports is distractions either, or distractions never bode well for a team. Now, you can say that you can, some teams trying to turn into adversity, adversity and, and adversity sometimes makes the team play better. Like, for instance... The Michigan Wolverines, I think that everything that's going on with Jim Harbaugh has galvanized that team week after week. And now, obviously, he's back. But some people can look at that as a distraction. But I think it was it was a galvanizing thing with, you know, the fact that they think that we, we need to cheat to win and we're playing for our coach. Well, that has bode well for them. Now they're in the college football playoffs. I think that that is the opposite for what is going on with the Steelers right now. It's just distraction after distraction after distraction. And even if everyone is playing up to their standard, and even if everyone is playing as good as they can possibly play, I don't think that they're good enough to overcome stuff like this. Now, I think 
Kyle Rudolph is, or Mason Rudolph, I'm sorry, is going to be starting at the quarterback position. That's red flag number uh, one. Now, yes, I know Jamar Chase isn't playing, uh, but still, I, I have the Bengals winning this game. I, I just think it, with everything that's going on with the Steelers and especially their quarterback position not being right, I just think the Bengals are going to win. Uh, and which is which is crazy because both teams really need this, especially the Steelers. Um, but I have the Bengals winning. Bills at Chargers. No Justin Herbert, no Keenan Allen, and obviously no new coach. The Bills are going to destroy. <laughs> going to destroy the Chargers, I believe. The Chargers, the Chargers just cannot wait for the season to be over. They got a lot of things that they need to figure out in the offseason. There's there's absolutely no hope for the playoffs at this point. Players are hurt. The the Chargers are trying to get to the offseason. And the Bills are still fighting for their playoff lives. And the Bills, luckily, have one of the easiest, when you look at people that are hurt and, and, and the teams that they play, they have one of the easiest schedules moving forward. So they, there's a good shot that not only they can make the playoffs, but they can win their division. Uh, and it starts with the Chargers. I have the Bills destroying the Chargers. <laughs> so, yeah. Sunday you have Colts at Falcons. The Falcons just lost to the Panthers. And this is this is one of those teams, another team that are fighting for their, are, are fight are trying to get to the postseason. They have some decisions to make at with, with the quarterback position with Desmond Ritter. Uh, they have decisions to make with their coach at Arthur Smith. Their defense has been porous. I have the Colts winning this, even with Gardner Minshew and his up and down season. If you lose to the Falcons at this point, it's tough. It's tough. Um, yeah, I have I have the Colts winning this one. Uh, Packers at Panthers. Same thing. <laughs> the Panthers have two wins this season. And it's not because they're not trying hard. It's because they're not good. So the last thing I expect is, a, if, is a, even though the Packers have lost games that they should have won, yo, you can't lose to the Panthers, bro. So I have the Packers winning that. Browns at Texans. This would have been a very good game, seeing especially what the Browns look like right now. And if C.J. Stroud was playing, where it looks like C.J. Stroud will not be playing. And Joe Flacco has done wonders for this team. Uh, I just dropped a video uh, yesterday about Joe Flacco. It's it's shocking how good him and the the connection between him and Kevin Stefanski has been. Uh, And now this Joe Flacco, I imagine that since Joe Flacco has made the Browns a scary playoff team. It's crazy. I have the Browns beating the Texans, especially with no C.J. Stroud. Um, Yeah. Lions at Vikings. It's crazy (laughs) how we view the Vikings now compared to how we viewed them maybe three or four weeks ago when they first got Joshua Dobbs. Yo, the Vikings, they're looking, even with Nick Mullen, they look... That, that they were phony in the light before, they're looking phony in the light now. And I, I'm i going to pick the Lions, but I don't have faith or confidence in the Lions because of what I, how I've seen them show up. I mean, you lost to the Bears. 
Uh, and, you know, these divisional games, you know. But I have the Lions. I think the Lions are a better team. And hopefully the Lions are starting to build this, the you know, momentum. So I have the Lions winning this one. Uh, Commanders at Jets. Let me look solely in this camera and tell you. Commanders, man. Commanders. I know in the grand scheme of things, I'm not important. Obviously, I'm not in the field. I'm not in the front office. I'm not even with the team. I'm just a fan. I'm from the neighborhood. I'm, I'm, I'm from the area. I grew up, I grew up uh, excuse, excuse the offensiveness. I grew up a, a Redskins fan. Then I was a Washington football team fan. And I am a Commanders fan. I understand uh, the whole tank for draft picks type thing. I get that. I understand the fact of, you know, some people feeling like, what are we playing for? Seeing as though right now we're 4-10, no shot of making the playoffs, no shot of getting the number one overall pick unless you make a big trade, which I don't even think we have the assets to do. I get that. But look me in my face. Commanders, you're going against a Jets team that brought Aaron Rodgers back to the 53-man roster, meaning they had to cut up a willing body, and Aaron Rodgers had absolutely no pathway to play. So they're cutting people that are able to play for a person that can't play, when all they have to do is keep him or keep him off the team. Zach Wilson's not playing, which means Trevor Simeon is playing. Commanders. I'm already Edwardson with you. <laughs> oh, man. Look here, bro. You better not embarrass me. <laughs> ah, man. Wow, you better not. Oh, my God. You better not embarrass me. I have the commander. Bro, you can't. If you can't win against Trevor Simeon, um, I got the <laughs> composure. I got the commanders beating the Jets. This. I mean, there's a floor, right? There's a floor somewhere. And if you lose to the Jets, I mean, you've already lost to the Giants, right? You've already lost to teams you shouldn't lose to. But if you lose to this iteration of the Jets, there is a new floor. That's all I'm going to say on that one. Uh, Seahawks at Titans. I got the Seahawks. Uh, the Seahawks still have a shot of making the playoffs. It's a very... They need a lot of help, but the Titans really don't. And even if Drew Lock, between Drew Locke and uh, Geno Smith, depending on who plays, I think that the Seahawks are still a better team right now than the Titans. So I have the Seahawks winning. Jaguars at Bucks. I think the Jaguars. I mean, I think the Jaguars are a better team. It's just a lot of their injuries, and I mean, I don't mean like 
physical injuries, but a lot of their the things that hurt their team are self-inflicted, of course, the turnovers. And sometimes clock management, late games, or late end of end of half situations, which we saw with the Ravens. I just think if they're able to button that up, they're a better team. So I have the the Jaguars winning or being the Bucks. Cardinals at Bears. I actually have the Bears. I think the card. I think the Bears defensively, especially after getting Montez Sweat, has been much better and. What we saw last week in the last two weeks, I guess you can say, is the Bears saying like, hey, we really have nothing to lose at this point, And we're kind of trying to figure out what's our next move, whether we're going to get Caleb Williams or we're going to uh, get we're going to keep Justin Fields. So Justin Fields, go out there and just play free. And with him playing free, even though they did lose last week, it, Justin Fields and his Bears team have been much better. And I think that the Bears right now, even put the record aside, I think they're just a better team right now than the Cardinals. I think the Cardinals have a lot of issues uh, outside of Kyler Murray. And I have the Bears. And the Bears are at home. I have the Bears. I think a, a sneaky good game is going to be the Cowboys at Dolphins. Both of these teams go into this, not, not just 10-4, but both of these teams go into this game with the uh, with the stigma that they can't beat good teams. The best win that the Dolphins have, I don't even I don't even remember. And the best win that the Cowboys have, obviously, was the Eagles. Uh, both of these teams again have that stigma on them that they can't beat above five hundred teams. They can't beat playoff type teams. Well. I think that this is going to be a good litmus test. Uh, I, Depending on the health of Tyreek Hill and the health of Jalen Waddle and the health of this team, this offensive line, I think I might go with the Dolphins. I might go with the Dolphins because we know that the Cowboys are a different team in Dallas and outside. They're not drastically different, especially this year, but uh, I just think the Dolphins, especially the, the Dolphins, the Dolphins' strengths are the Cowboys' weaknesses, meaning outside the, the Cowboys struggle with speed on the outside, and they struggle with stopping the run at times. Well, you have two of the fastest fastest wide receivers on this team and two of the fastest running backs on the team. So we'll see. But I have the Dolphins beating the Cowboys. Patriots at Broncos. This is another one of the Commanders, Jets games, so. Broncos, you're you're streaking right now. I know you lost last game, but you're you're pretty much on a high. You can't lose to a team that has Bailey Zappi as a starting quarterback, right? I have the Broncos winning that game. And you have Monday, which is obviously Christmas. Uh, Merry Christmas for people that do celebrate Christmas. If you don't, happy holidays. If you don't celebrate the holidays, happy Monday. I hope that. You don't have to go to work. If you do have to go to work, go get your money. Go get your time and a half. I know I have to work on Christmas. Uh, but hey, it is what it is. I hope you guys have a splendiferous Christmas or splendiferous holidays if you do not celebrate Christmas. But on Christmas, on Monday, you have uh, the Raiders at Chiefs. I have the Chiefs winning this game. I'm not going to say, because it's a divisional game, I think it's going to be close. Uh, and we know the relationship between Max Crosby and Patrick Mahomes. But 
all week the Chiefs have the Chiefs have heard just how bad this wide receiver room has been. And rightfully so. They've been bad this entire week. Or they've been bad this pretty much this entire year. I just don't think that those issues are gonna rear its head against the Raiders who struggle on the backside of the defense. So add the Chiefs winning that. Giants had Eagles. I know the Eagles have lost three straight, but you're going against the Giants team that even though Tommy DeVito has had some good wins, he's still Tommy DeVito, and you're go- and hopefully you get a healthy uh, Jalen Hurts. As far as you know, he had a flu-like symptom last game. I have the Eagles winning this. The Eagles are going to break their three-game losing streak, in my opinion, and win on against the Giants. And then you have the game. The game of games. To me, right now, the biggest game of the season. And I think that this game is possibly the Super Bowl preview. And that is the Baltimore Ravens at 49ers. Both teams are 11-3. and Both teams are number one in, the, in their conference. Both teams are, in my opinion, the best teams in football. And you have... To me, this game has a lot of, uh, what's the word? This game has a lot of things riding on it. Pause. (laughs) I think the MVP will be decided in this game. I know there's a lot of, I mean, hell, Brock Purdy's a front runner right now for MVP, but there's a lot of people think he deserves MVP. Cool, if you believe that. That's good. That's good for you. I'm not one of those people, but hey, I respect your opinion. I think this is this game is going to determine who the MVP is between Brock Purdy and Lamar Jackson. I think that they're right and Chris McCaffrey. I think they're one, two, and three right now. Maybe not in that particular order, but one, two, and three. And I feel the winner of this game is going to decide that. The winner of this game, in my opinion, has the mental edge moving forward because, to me, especially when the way that things are are lining up, this is these this game for the Ravens and this game for the 49ers, These are the toughest opponents that both teams have played. The Ravens, you're playing against a complete team, like a complete team. Like there's damn near no holes with this 49ers team. And for the 49ers, you're playing against a team that can beat you in a myriad of ways. And we have not seen that from a Ravens team. And honestly, even though I like the Ravens and I like what the Ravens have been doing, I think that the 49ers are going to win this game. Uh, I would like the Ravens to win, obviously. But seeing as though I did pick the Ravens to win the Super Bowl, uh, and obviously this isn't Super Bowl, but... I have the Ravens. I mean, I have the 49ers winning. I just think the 49ers. Actually, you know what? Let me let me sit here and let me process this. So the 40. Mm, yeah. I don't like I don't like the fact that, uh, or the health status of the Ravens offensive line. We talk about Ronnie Stanley and. Morgan Moses, I don't really like their health, uh, their health status. As far as that, I think this might be one of the first games where Lamar Jackson is really going to miss his safety blanket and Mark Andrews, especially when you're going up against this 
incredibly physical defense. Yeah, I think the Ravens are going to win. I don't think it's going to be. I mean, I think the, I'm sorry. I think the 49ers are going to win. I don't think it's going to be like a, a blowout or anything. I think it's going to be a very close game. But I have the 49ers beat. And the 49ers are at home. Yeah, I have the 49ers beating the Ravens. Those are my predictions. Let me know what you think. Let me know who you got. Again, happy holidays to people. And uh, let's move on to basketball. So as we sit here today, one of the hottest teams in basketball is the Clippers. And I know I was very vocal about what the move to get James Harden was going to look like for this team. What it was going to look like for players like Paul George and Kawhi Leonard and Russell Westbrook and ultimately James Harden. And seeing how some of the verbiage coming into this game was obviously, you know, I am a James Harden pretty much saying I am a system. You know, I don't adapt to a system. A lot of it didn't spell positive. And on top of that, when, you know, they were one of, (laughs) when James Harden got there, they were struggling mightily. I even put a video out saying that it, it was a poor move. Well, it's clicked. And one of the biggest reasons why it's clicked is the biggest reason why it wasn't clicking in the first place, and that is sacrifice. I t- again, I, I did a video about it. That's all you heard was sacrifice. I understand that it takes time to learn each, other, learn each other's moves, learn each other's tendencies, but it's all about sacrifice. You, you can't have that many ball-dominant people and think that it's all just going to mesh after one game. There are some times that it never meshes. And then there are some times where when it clicks, it's beautiful. Well, right now, for the Clippers, it's clicked. And with it clicking, the question is, is this team a championship caliber team? And to answer that, I think that I think you have to understand that there are there are very very strong similarities in championship caliber teams, but every championship caliber team obviously has differences. For instance, uh, the the there's there's stark differences between last year's Nuggets team and the let's say the. 2019 Raptors team. Both both teams were incredibly efficient in the paint. Both of them were incredibly had a generational player, Kawhi Leonard, uh, Nicole Jokic. Defensively, the the Toronto Raptors were much better defensively than the um, Nuggets. But the Nuggets had way more assists. Like they were, they were hopscotching the ball around. One of the one of the characteristics that every single team has that has won a championship is you have to be efficient defensively. And it's not just at one position, though. You have to be the efficient 
the you have to be efficient around the board. In the 2022 Golden State Warriors championship with Jordan Poole, with Curry, with Andrew Wiggins, they were still a top five. I think I actually think they were number one defensively in the playoffs. I know that when you when you hear Steph Curry and Jordan Poole and all that, you don't think the defense, but they were one of the best defenses in, in, in basketball. Going back, let, let's get back to this Clippers team. I think this Clippers team obviously has a chance to win a, a championship. But they're they're trying to deploy the same thing that the that the Suns wanted to deploy. Well, Yes, you still have two really good defenders in Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. They want to beat you by scoring more than you. Because outside of those two, they don't really have that much defense. on. The, I mean, Norman Powell's not a defender. Russell Westbrook isn't that much of a defender. I mean, he's he's good help side, but he's not that much of a defender. James Harden has never been a defender. Zubak is cool as far as rim protecting, but he's not the best as far as vertical movement. So your two best defenders, obviously, is Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Both of them, obviously, one of the best defenders in the, of their generations. But that's a lot of pressure when you're going against teams that are bigger than you. You're going against teams like the Nuggets that just hopscotch the ball around. If they ever get their stuff together, that's going to be tough going against teams like Golden State where they hopscotch the ball and, and their ball movement and player movement off the ball is second to none. I'm I'm not this is surprise not surprisingly. This is me giving them credit, you know. Uh I didn't think that the Clippers were going to mesh. I knew that it was going to be a lot on Lou Ty Lou, but I just didn't know that they were going to mesh because of what we saw going for and I know that people, they kept saying, take time and give us time. But the issues that we were seeing are issues that we kind of knew we were going to see. So, which obviously was defensively and, you know, poor rotations and poor lineups. This is me commending Ty Lue and this Clippers team from getting it together. Again, I... I don't know if they will obviously win a championship, but they're one of the teams that have played themselves into championship conversation. And I don't know defensively if they're good enough to win a championship. And I don't know, because I know they did just lose to the um, Thunder, but I don't know if they can keep it up in uh, this scoring barrage against a bigger team or a team that can match them point for point. But, uh, yeah, this is me congratulating and and giving shouts out to uh, the the Clippers for, you know, handling business. And this for sure is a – they have turned themselves – from what we saw when they first got James Harden to now, it seems like it's night and day. And I understand they said take time, which is obvious, but – the things that they were struggling with, I didn't think, were things that we knew. Defensively, the biggest issue, and we know James Harden's track record on defense, and we know Russell Westbrook's track record on defense isn't the best. So when they said take time, I didn't think that 
they were going to get it together, and they obviously did. So, yeah, right now, they are for sure a championship-caliber team. Uh, and, yeah, man, shouts out to them. Shouts out to them. I want to move on to a team that is on the complete opposite side of the spectrum than the L.A. Clippers right now, and that is the Detroit Pistons. The Detroit Pistons just lost their 25th straight game. And people are wondering, what is wrong with the Detroit Pistons? When you when you lose 25 straight games, right, there has to be a reason. There has to be a singular reason that you are playing as bad as you're playing and that you just can't seem to get a win. And I'm going to tell you exactly what is wrong with the the Pistons and why it's really nobody's fault. Here's something that you don't hear every day. The NBA is hard. <laughs> the NBA, and this is why I think it was, I get it, don't get me wrong, but I think it was hilarious and and I think it was interesting to hear the rhetoric that was around when Noah Lyles was pretty much talking about the difference between a world championship and, and an NBA championship and how NBA players or NBA, the NBA shouldn't call it the world championship. The NBA has the best players in the world in the association whether they're foreign, whether they're American-born, they have the best players in the NBA. That's why there is a, a leaps and bounds difference between the talent level in the NBA than there is in college and a lot of times overseas. Because the best of the best, the ones that weren't able to fall through the cracks made it to the NBA. And with the NBA being as challenging as it is, your margin for error has shrunk. And I talk about that a lot, the margin of error. and, and These are the best of the best. Think about it. Even on the worst teams, even on this Detroit Pistons team, they have... A a whole world player in Cade Cunningham. Like it's tough every day, every night in the NBA. And what you're realizing and what is almost impossible to refute is how younger players struggle. Because this is different than anything that they're used to. This is different than AAU. This is different than high school. This is different than college. This is different than anything they're used to. Because when you play, let's say college, let's go, let's just keep it in college. When you play in college, in your entire schedule for a year, you might play, might play two or three NBA caliber players. Think of, listen to think about that statement. 
in college on any given night Cade Cunningham went to Oklahoma State on any given night you could be playing well not any given night the the entire season you can play maybe two or three NBA players that doesn't take away from how good college is but NBA players, you're probably playing maybe three or four for your entire season. In in the NBA, listen to this, man. In the NBA, in fact, let me let me pull up something real quick. Let me pull up their schedule. And I'm not gonna go, I'm not going to, you know, uh talk about the entire 25 game losing streak, but Let's just go to let's just start with let's just start with the Nuggets. No, you know what? Let's have some fun. Let's start with the Thunder. I actually probably will go twenty five games. The Thunder, you have to play Shea Gilders Alexander. The the Trailblazers, you have to go against Anthony Simons. The Pelicans, you have to go against Zion Williamson, Brandon Ingram. The Suns, Kevin Durant, Devin Booker. The Golden State Warriors, Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green. The Bucks, even though you did lose by two, the Bucks still got to go against Giannis and what's his name? Damian Lillard. The 76ers, Joel Embiid. The Bulls, Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan. The Hawks, Trey Young. The Cavaliers, Donovan Mitchell. The Raptors, Pascal Siakam. The Nuggets, Nikola Jokic. The Pacers, Tyrese Halliburton. The Wizards, Jordan Poole. Kyle Kuzma. The Lakers, LeBron James, Anthony Davis. The Knicks, Jalen Brunson. Julius Randle. The Cavaliers again, Donovan Mitchell. Darius Garland. Evan Mobley, well he's out. The Grizzlies. Uh, Desmond Bain, because I don't think I know John Moran didn't play. Desmond Bain, Derrick Rose, Jaron Jackson Jr., The Magic, Paolo Bancaro, Franz Wagner, Tyrese Halliburton again. You have to go against Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey twice. And the worst one was definitely the Jazz the other night because they everyone was out. But what I'm saying is, and what I'm trying to convey is, it's tough in the NBA. And I'm not shooting nobody bail. I'm just, it's tough. And when you're one of the youngest teams in basketball, if not the youngest team in basketball, it's going to take a lot of adjustment. Now, yes, I don't think it just falls on youth. I think that Monty Williams and some of his his rotations are bad. I think that Cade Cunningham hasn't been as great as he should be. I mean, especially talking about turning the ball over. I don't know what the hell is going on with Jaden Ivey because I don't know why the hell uh, Killian Hayes is still playing more minutes than him. Uh, But this is a team figuring out how to be NBA players. It's very rare. You're not going to get someone that's just ready for the league. I know that players are better now than they've ever been but 
you're not going to just it's very rare that you get players that are just ready for the league the people that are ready for the league you know what we call those like that that just like as soon as you get drafted you're ready for the league you know what we call those players stars hell even Wimby once in a generation Wimby the the San or the the San Antonio Spurs are struggling with them. It takes time, man, and and this team is learning how to win. They're learning how to win, and and learning how to win means that there's a lot of losing. Again, I don't. I think that one thing has to be established, or one thing has to be has to be given to this team and that's the one thing that sports don't usually allow and that's patience I agree with Cade Cunningham uh, he said that what they're not a 2 and 26 team I agree to a sense of they have talent and they're the talent bolds more than 2 and 26 but their record is what it is and this is what it looks like when your entire team is trying to figure out how to win, not just a player. Because people ask, like, hey, not every, not every player, like Steph Curry, they weren't this bad. The, the Golden State Warriors weren't this bad. Or... Um, you know, when we, when we talk about the Bucks, when when Giannis with the Bucks, they weren't this bad. The 76ers weren't this bad with Joel Embiid. Nicole Jokic and the Nuggets weren't this bad. Yeah, that's one player. Again, you're talking about the youngest, if not one of the most or youngest teams in the league. The whole team is trying to figure out how to win. And it doesn't just happen in a microwave and you learn quickly But the one thing about the, the one thing about the NBA and sports in general is losing can do one of two things. It can it can be a very powerful tool in showing you how to win and showing you things that you have to develop to not lose anymore, or you can get comfortable with losing, and that just becomes your identity. And I think that the the Pistons have such a young team and a young, hungry team. I mean, you have Durant, you have Ivy, you have Kate Cunningham. I think that they have the youth to climb out of this. But this is what it takes. I'm going to proclamate it today. When we look up, let's say three to four years from now, three to four years from now, this Pistons team will be light years better than it is right now. I'm not saying championship cow. I'm not saying that, but they will be much better now in three to four years than they are right now, especially if they have the same core. It just takes time. That's it. And... Lastly, before we go, we have the unpopular topic of the day. 
look here, man. <laughs> I am I agree wholeheartedly that Florida State got hosed in the college football playoffs. I understand that they feel that they deserved to be in the college football playoffs, whether having Jordan Travis or not. And I agree completely. I mean, you're pretty much telling us that the regular season doesn't matter if a, pl- a major player gets hurt. That's that's kind of what the committee said by their actions. And it happened, you know. But what I'm starting to see is like a, a, a player that gets upset and they're the one that owns the ball. Like if you go to a rec center and you see players playing, you see this one guy that's trash and he gets upset and he's the owner of the ball and he takes the ball and leaves. It's like, what? Or one thing that I, I get but then I never understand in certain aspects is when people argue calls, like, never, I don't remember the last time you arguing a call made them be like, you know what, you're right. You know what, don't don't worry about it. We ain't going to do it no more. You know what, don't, you're you right. What, what we just called ain't a call no more. I don't, I don't remember the last time that's happened. <laughs> that just doesn't happen. I get you argue the call so that they can look at it for next time and whatever, but Never are they going to be like, you know what? You're right. That ain't no foul. Now, unless you do the review and everything, but, you know. But Florida State, bro, they're they're taking this. Now, I understand that Florida State has tried uh, in the past few years to separate themselves from the ACC, wanting to go, you know, because they feel like, the ACC doesn't present them with the most challenge. And they feel like because they were in the ACC is one of the biggest reasons why they were looked over because of the, 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 the talent that they played. Mind you, here's the thing. I would understand this argument if the reason why they were left out the playoffs is because they're in the ACC. That's not the reason. The reason is Jordan Travis got hurt and your team looked like a shell of itself after he got hurt. Your team, at least offensively, looked god-awful. And if you would have played against any of the teams in the top five or top four right now, you would get smoked. Florida, if Florida State played Michigan, if they played Texas, if they played Washington, if they played Alabama, and even if they played Georgia fully healthy without, like, even if they played Georgia, they'd get boat raced. That's why. Again, I may not agree with it, but I understand why they got left out. They didn't get left out because they're in the ACC. Now, yes. Talent-wise, the ACC is definitely different than the uh, the the SEC. But what you think gonna? What do you think would happen now? I think the the report is the SEC denied their request to join them, 
What do you think would happen if Florida State went to the SEC? I think what we're about to see out of Oklahoma and Texas is exactly what we about to see out of what we would see out of Florida State. I think it's going to be tough <laughs> few years. A tough few years for Texas and Oklahoma joining an SEC cuz you don't really have many cupcakes anymore. That's kind of why I think it's going to be tough few years for Oregon. Uh, yeah, shouts out to Dan Lanning, but Oregon going to the Pac or the Big Ten, that means you got to go against Ohio State. You got to go against Michigan. <laughs> like, there's no more. I don't. I don't foresee much forty nine to zeros. You know, <laughs> like as trash as they've been the last few years, you still got to go against Michigan State. That's a different level of physicality. And that's different between the ACC and the SEC. The level of physicality is different. I think the, 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 what I'm trying to say is, bro, just, just give it up. I understand it's, it, you feel slighted. and But the reason why you didn't make the college football playoffs is not because you're in the ACC. It's because Jordan Travis went down. The same Jordan Travis that was a Heisman finalist. I think you finished like sixth or fifth. Come on now. Let's let's not do this. And there you have it. That's been today's episode of the Unpopular Podcast. I truly, truly appreciate you guys. If you want an Unpopular Podcast shirt, hoodies, sweaters, long sleeve joggers, the link is in the description below. I have multiple different colors, multiple different designs. Get your Unpopular Podcast merch today. Also, please subscribe to if you're listening. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel. I'm trying to get as many subscribers as I can. I appreciate you all. I think I'm at like... 1.16k on on youtube which i never thought i would get to so i do truly truly appreciate you guys uh subscribe to whoever you're listening whether that's spotify whether that's apple music i it the anything helps you know anything helps if you if you listen through dsps if you watch through youtube all of it helps and all of it is definitely definitely appreciated also, follow the socials, follow Instagram, follow TikTok. I post pretty much daily, and those are the places that you can probably connect with me and get to me the quickest as far as response. Just keep it respectful, and I don't mind debating. I don't mind going back and forth. I don't mind hearing your opinions. I don't mind giving mine, obviously. Just keep it respectful, and we can and, and we can agree to disagree, but just keep it respectful. Well, yeah, man, until next time. Oh, and happy holidays for anyone that celebrates the holidays. Much love.